0: series called Jesus Is. Jesus Is. And the reason this series is important is because sometimes I believe we just don't know Jesus like we should. Even folks who have been to church for quite some time, they just, uh, you know, if somebody was to ask them, well, who is Jesus to you? They would be like, well, let me get back to you on that. You know, they don't feel like they have an answer ready because there's just this, we, we know about Jesus. But to answer the question, who is Jesus to you, that requires a context of relationship. And so the point of this series is to help us get a clearer picture of some of the the key aspects of who Jesus is. Certainly, we're not covering them all. This would be a a series that would go on until I retire if we were to cover all of that. We want to look through the gospel of John, some of the things that we discover about Jesus that helps bring definition to who he is. And then if it does that, brings definition to our own lives. So when folks begin to have that conversation about who Jesus is to you, you'll feel prepared to have an answer for them. And so we looked at last week, Jesus is grace. John 1 says Jesus came full of grace and truth. He embodied both of those perfectly, and how as he ministered, you saw both of those working in the lives of those that he touched, grace and truth. And each one of us, I'm sure, have experienced the grace of Christ touching our lives, and how meaningful that was to bring you to a place of repentance. We learned that that grace is, is not a doctrine to believe, but it's a person to receive. And last week we prayed with a few folks to receive Christ and that is always a cause for celebration because he is grace. Well today we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is the source. He's the source. We sing a great song Jesus be the center of it all. He is the source. He's the source. And everyone has a driving force within them that that creates a a sense of purpose or a sense of motivation for their life. You might call it the origin or the source of their life's purpose. And many of you, if I was to ask you, what is your purpose for living? You'd probably have an answer to that question. Some might say, it's my career. Some might say, well, it's my family. I, I live for my family. Some might say it's the relationship that I'm in, it might be uh, your status in life, it might be, hey, I'm living for pleasure, it might be I'm living to gain some things in this life, material gain. Everybody has something that drives them to do what they do. But what happens when that source that you've been trusting in fails you? What happens when you discover that that source is fatally flawed and is not able to deliver what you've been trusting it to deliver? Undoubtedly, you've met someone who will discover that this thing they've been putting their trust in, if it was material wealth or if it was people, relationships or their career, and that failed them, they'll come up with some kind of an excuse of why it did. They'll try to prop up their source because that has been giving them purpose and meaning. And, and, they, and when that begins to crumble, guess what else crumbles? Their sense of identity and hope. And some of you have been there. You built your life on something. Maybe it was your career or maybe it was finances or maybe it was a relationship. And when that changed or when that was altered, it sent you into a spiral. And you were grabbing for some kind of sense of hope because what you had trusted in had begun to crumble around you. And what happens when that's been your story? That's the story of a lady we meet in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 4, we we meet a lady whose life has been falling apart. She's been in a series of relationships, all ending in divorce. She's a story of abuse, of a brokenness, of shame, of, of probably regret. But she has what some might say a chance encounter with Jesus. I don't think so. I don't think so. So let's look at it. John chapter four. And what I love about the gospels in general is how they have a tendency to elevate the quality of all life. You know, ladies were not highly regarded in biblical times. I'm sorry, ladies, it's just the way it was. Uh, here in America, we don't quite get that. But there are still cultures today where women are not regarded as much. And that was the culture into which Jesus ministered and where he stepped. But isn't it beautiful how the Gospels elevate the quality of life for all? In fact, if it wasn't for the Christian movement, if it wasn't for Christ, the equality we desire racially, the, the equality we desire among the, the genders, that wouldn't be taking place. But, but Jesus in the Gospel message helped bring beauty to those roles and those relationships. And he brings beauty to the life of a young lady who was stuck in the brokenness of the things that she had trusted in. And in John chapter 4, we see that story unfold in, in, in John 4, beginning at verse 4. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, but you have your smart device, we would encourage you to use the, the YouVersion Bible app, and if you have that Bible app, some of you know how to do this by now, but you go to Menu, More, you find Events, and hopefully Neighborhood Church is listed there as well. The notes are available for you there as well. There's also Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you didn't bring one today or you don't have a Bible, please take that uh, Bible as our gift to you today. The backstory to John chapter 4 is Jesus had been ministering down in Jerusalem. You might recall that Jesus was from Nazareth of Galilee, which was a region in the northern part of what was called Palestine. The time in which Jesus ministered, Israel had been transitioned, it had been now under Roman rule, and that area was called Palestine. And Jesus' ministry was primarily around the Galilee region, but He had often traveled down to Jerusalem. And if you think about Palestine logistically and, and geographically, it's kind of like the distance between Eugene and Portland. Okay, it's about 120 miles from top to bottom, and they would walk by foot down to Jerusalem, and Jesus had been ministering there. In fact, you might know a story, just one chapter back in chapter 3, he's meeting with a prominent Pharisee, Nicodemus, and then he's, he's buttoning up his ministry in the south and getting ready to return back up to Galilee. And uh, part of that journey would take somebody, if you went from a straight line from where he was to where he wanted to go, that straight line would take you through the region of Samaria. But what we don't often understand if we're not crawling into Scripture is that the Jews and Samaritans had a very great hatred for each other. There was racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. And as Jesus was getting ready to make his transition back up into Galilee, uh, he, the Bible says here shortly, we'll see it, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Uh, So let's pick it up, because this is what I want you to understand. There's there's, there's tension between the Jewish people and Samaritans. This is the region in which this woman lives, an area that's, that's just... Full of strife against the Jewish people. And here comes Jesus, the, the, the Son of God, the, the perfect Jew of all Jews, right? He's coming into the area, but let's look at it, beginning at verse 4. Now he, speaking of Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So just pausing there, this is a place of rich history of Israel. Jacob was the father of what would come the tribes of Israel. He had 12 sons. Joseph was one of those. We know the story of Joseph because it's, it's celebrated in Scripture, how he became next in command, ultimately, to Pharaoh and preserved not only uh, Egypt, but his family through the great famine that took place during his leadership. And so these are, these are key characters in the history of Israel. And so this is the area she's going to. Jacob's well was there, it says. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Most Jewish people would go around it. They would add three days possibly to their journey and go around Samaria. That'd be kind of like if you were in Eugene and you wanted to go to Portland, but you didn't want to walk through the Albany area, okay? Because us Albanians, you know, we're, we're, we're weird, okay? And so how would you do that? You would, go, you, you would end up going east out of Eugene like you're going to head towards Sister's, then you'd eventually catch the highway interchange and then come back in at Salem and totally route around Albany. But how much, how much miles would that add to your trip, right? But that's what they would do. They would go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to step foot through it. That's what the Jews did. They wouldn't even walk in Samaritan land, at least rarely. A few did it for convenience, but why would Jesus, it says he had to go through Samaria. Why? Was it convenience? No. No. Jesus was always about his father's mission, wasn't he? He said, what I see my father doing, that's what I do. And my father has something he's doing in Samaria. And so he journeys into Samaria, an area, like I said, that's just, it's, it's uh, tense racially between the Jews and the Samaritans. I don't have time to unpack all of the reason why, but just understand there's a lot of racial tension there. But why did he do that? Because there was somebody who needed Somebody who needed hope that day. Somebody who needed to discover a better source than what she had been trusting in. And while we haven't yet introduced her in the story, Jesus went there because there was one person who needed to hear hope. Aren't you glad that he goes the distance for us? That he's not restricted by what would seem to be human-level barriers, but he is willing to transgress those barriers that his hope might be placed within reach of those who need it most? And that's what Jesus did did. He goes into this area. And why is that important? Because Jesus will meet you at your place of need. Some of you, you're at a place of need today. Maybe it is the thing that you've been trusting in. Maybe it's been finances, a relationship, or your job, or or just yourself, and you've discovered it's failing you, and you're at a place of need today. Here's the great news. Jesus will meet you at your place of need, just like he does in the story of this Samaritan woman. As we'll see in the stories that unfolds that she was going to the well, Jacob's well. Jacob's well was uh, dug a long time ago, hundreds of years before her story happened to take place around this same well. But it's a well that was about 75 feet down and it would collect rainwater that had, had, had percolated through the soil, and then almost like a cistern, there would be water down inside this well that you'd have to have a very long rope and a bucket to draw from this well. And so she was going out there to draw from this, from this well. But here's the deal. There would be times in the season where that well was dry. In fact, even to this day, the, the Jacob's well is now covered by a church like a lot of those important sites were throughout biblical history. But even today, there are times when that well is dry and those that want to go and and see the water or taste the water from Jacob's well will discover that there's nothing there. Even that well had proven to be unreliable at times. And isn't it true there are a lot of people who are trying to draw hope from a well that can't provide it for them? You ever notice that in life? There are times that you hope maybe my rope's long enough, maybe this bucket will reach some kind of hope within my life, I can, I can pull myself together, I can try harder, I can do better, and all the while you keep dropping it down and it's not catching anything. And that's the case with this, with this particular woman. She's going to a well that's unreliable. There are a lot of folks that do that. that. That well for them might be a relationship that's not healthy, but at least it's something. Or that well for them might be an addiction where they keep going to to find strength. It might be money. The more I could make, the happier I'll be. I'm not sure what those wells are, but you know they're unreliable. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter two, verse thirteen, the prophet says this about the people of Israel: My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The things that so many people trust in cannot hold water. Cannot create for them the hope they are looking for. It's a source they've been building their life on, but it's an unreliable source. So Jesus went through Samaria on purpose to have an opportunity to speak to a woman, to give her hope for the deepest need that she has. My question for you is where is your place of need today? Where, it is, where is it that Jesus needs to meet you? Maybe you've discovered that you once had a great passion for making Jesus your source, but life has been difficult, and it's and it shifted your focus away from Christ. You've been building your life upon things that will not satisfy, things that will not provide, things that will fail you. And when they do, when they do, will you come back to Jesus or be angry at him? But this woman had a place of need called the well, and it was there that Jesus would meet with her because that's what Jesus does for those that are burdened. In fact, Matthew 11 in the message translation says it this way, Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This woman at the well, she was living burdened and heavy, and Jesus was going to come and express to her a different kind of source that would give her freedom and light in her life. Let's pick it up, the story in, in John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives us a reason why. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So there's this racial tension among the Samaritans. Then we have this woman who's kind of an outcast of outcasts. In fact, to the Jewish people, Samaritans were no better than a dead dog. In fact, here's dead dog and here's Samaritans. And if that's the case, then here's dead dog, here's Samaritans, here is the Samaritan woman. She's coming to this well at noon it says in in, in scripture some say the 6th hour a lot of scholars place that around noon, not the average time to go draw water from a well. A lot of ladies would do that in groups. It was kind of their social time. They would do it in the morning and sometimes again in the evening to bypass the heat of the day. It was the job of the women to go to the wells and draw for the water they needed to cook with or drink or bathe or whatever. And so they would do this together. It was kind of a social time for the ladies. But yet we see in the story a woman coming alone to a well at noon. Why? I'll tell you why. To avoid the accusing eyes, and the slanders of her own people. Her life hasn't been the greatest. One bad relationship after another, after another, after another, after another. She's in a place of brokenness, and if, if that's not shame cast upon her by others, she certainly has enough of her own shame that kept her in isolation. And so she goes to this well at the middle of the day to avoid the accusing voices of her of her peers, of her villagers. And when she comes to that well, she finds Jesus resting by the well. Doesn't know who he is, according to how we see the story play out. But she knows he's a Jew, perhaps even a rabbi, if he was dressed in in any kind of rabbi attire. And she's kind of surprised this Jew even talked to her, let alone asking her for a drink. Because rabbis, especially rabbis, didn't talk to women. In fact, in public, they wouldn't sometimes even talk to their own wives or their own daughters. Why would he talk to me, she's thinking to herself. And his words weren't condemning. He was asking for help. And of all the people who could condemn her, it was Jesus. But when Jesus saw her, he didn't see a broken, wounded woman. He probably saw that, but he saw past that. He saw a woman whose source has been failing her, and somebody who needed to know there's life, there's hope, there's purpose for you. Jesus' perception was everything, and he was right on with her. This was a woman who needed to experience his grace that we talked about last week. And what I love about Jesus is, again, he's not encumbered by the prejudices and the, the, the preconceptions that so many of us deal with as we look at people around us. He's willing to go and meet people where they are. In fact, Jesus accepts you regardless of your lifestyle and label. That's what we see in this story. Here's a woman who has labels. She's had a certain kind of lifestyle that has been not above reproach. She certainly has, has done enough things to earn some of the things that are leveled toward her. But Jesus sees past the labels, past the lifestyles. And here's the thing. He accepts you. Now, does he want to change that? Absolutely, and by the grace of God, he does that. But here's the thing I need us to remember, church. Jesus saw past those things. We, too, need to take a cue from him and see past the labels that are often thrown into the faces of our community members because of the way they're currently living. If they're in bondage to sin, they're going to be living that way. Okay, we can't change them before they come to church. But I hear people say, well, when I get cleaned up, then I'll come to church. I tell people, don't wait that long because here's the truth, you'll never come. But come because we love you and Christ accepts you and this is a place where you can discover hope and Jesus will do the work only he can do. Church, it's not our job to do that work that only Jesus can do. He sees past that and he receives people who are broken like he did this woman at the well against all cultural barriers he steps. Aren't you glad he does that? He still does that. He's still looking for his church as well to be that same way. Let's continue the story in, in John chapter 4 verse 10. Jesus answered her because she was, remember, asking for, uh, he asked her for water. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? I can imagine Jesus just in his own mind just kind of laughing about that. Well, you know, actually, I I think I am a little bit greater than Jacob. He just listens and he answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again very practical how many times do you drink water a day right we go back because we get thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life and the woman said to him sir give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water in other words i like what you're saying it sounds like you have a message that will make my life simpler i would like that And how many times do folks maybe come to Jesus for the wrong reasons? They think maybe He's going to make their life easier. I don't know about you, but I've discovered that following Jesus hasn't always made my life easier. Anybody else give a witness to that? Um, It's the greatest decision I made. Undoubtedly, the greatest decision I've ever made. But you know what? It's not always been easy. Because it's required the work of the Holy Spirit within me to work against the sinful nature that's at work in my body. And in my life. And it's been not always easy, but by the grace of God, it's been possible. But he's not looking to hand out a a feel good message to you. He wants something far deeper than that. So he goes on. So she says, Give me this water so I won't be thirsty. He recognizes this isn't working with her. So what's he do? Verse 18, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. He just said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. You ever had those moments where it feels like your life just totally opened up, and somebody knew you in a way that nobody else knew you before? That's what happens when we sit sometimes in the preaching of God's Word, and all of a sudden we are laid bare. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm feeling so vulnerable right now. That's this lady. All of a sudden, Jesus just spoke to right where she is. And what does she do? She changes the subject. Exactly what often we do. When the the heat starts getting pointed toward our soul, what do we do? Okay, that's enough for now. Let's change the subject. So she says, Sir, verse 19, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. I think it's interesting, by the way, that Oftentimes, when we talk to people about Jesus, like your peers, your friends, your coworkers, what do they want to do? Oftentimes, they want to argue with you, debate with you about religious things. I love how Jesus does this. He just kind of he takes it, but he wants to bring it back home. So he continues to work with her in this process, right? And so he says, "Woman, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain." nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming and when He comes He'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus said, Drops the bomb, right? He declares, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So this woman was kind of hung up at something here. She was hung up at the physical. All she sees in Jesus is a guy who's promising her living water, but he has nothing with which to draw it with. See, most travelers would have a rope with a little cloth or, or, or skinned bucket at the bottom to get water from a well. But Jesus didn't have any of those things. That's why he had to ask her for a drink. Maybe that went with the disciples as they went into town. I'm not sure what exactly happened there, but all she sees in this man is somebody who seems ill-equipped to solve the problem she's having, but he's promising this living water. She can't get past the physical to embrace what Jesus is really trying to point toward. And here's the truth. How many of us got hung up on that too? There are physical things that keep us back from truly embracing Christ. In fact, here's the point, that we have to get past the physical to embrace the spiritual. got to get past it. There are things that are holding you back, things that maybe it's a physical challenge you have. Maybe it's a lust issue. Maybe it's just your own way and your own will that's at war against growing to experience deeper and deeper the truths that Christ has for you. I'm not sure what it is for you. But we have to get past that. She was uh, not always willing to go there, even when Jesus would try to sneak around her guard bring some truth. She, she was having a hard time going there with him. And friends, how true it is for us that we need to get past that. How do we do that? It takes faith. It's that faith that allows us to see beyond the physical into the spiritual, what Jesus is doing. And some of you, even in your brokenness, express that faith Jesus and say, Lord, I know I'm a broken person. I know that I'm trying my hardest to do stuff that's a source for me, but it's not working. I'm going to push past this I'm going to press into you. The hard part about the spiritual is it's often very hard for us to understand that. That's why I'm so glad that God has His Word for us to dig into and understand who He is. She had to push past that and begin to embrace with faith because faith helps us see that our source of life is not found in this life. She was looking for trust and and her source to be in this earth, and it's, it's not. It's found beyond this life. Finally, as the story continues, verse 27, we see that just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. So the disciples come back from town. They're a little bit shocked to see Jesus talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, because that's just like so culturally wrong. But they weren't going to bring it up because they figured, well, this is Jesus. You know, if he's going to do this, It must be cool with him. It's got to be okay with us. So they come back. And what's interesting about this story is I love how sometimes the gospels focus in on certain things. And then sometimes they just brush past stuff. Like I talked about last week when the woman was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. Remember what he did? He he wrote down in the sand some things that none of us know what he wrote. That would have been a great time for John to kind of highlight what was happening there. But he didn't in the gospel accounts, but yet when it comes to this point in the story, he draws attention to something that we can't miss. It says, leaving her water jar. Why would John include that detail? I mean, the whole point was that she left, right? But why would he include that? Why why was the jar important? The jar hadn't been brought up. It was simply a vessel with which she was going to draw water from this well. But why would it say, why would it be called out in the gospel accounts? Of all the things that could have been put in there? Why was this element there? I think it shows something about the encounter with Jesus. She came to a source to find some water, which for the people living in the Middle East, water is the source of life. I mean, you don't have water. There's no vegetation. You know, we we can only last so long without water, right? But she finds something, a better source a more reliable source, and it's interesting that it's just left there. She left her water jar. I could be reading more into it than I need to, but I think it's interesting that when the gospel includes something, I better pay attention to it. She leaves it and goes back to her city. What does that really kind of show me, that Jesus satisfies those deepest needs of our hearts? He does. And some of us need to learn how to leave some water jars behind. There are some things that we have been banking on, trusting in, that even have taken place over Christ in our life and we need to leave those by the well and say those aren't going to satisfy any longer she'd found something better maybe she just was so excited she forgot about it I I don't know but yet it says she left it maybe today you need to leave some water jars here and say Jesus I've been trusting in this and it's been failing me or it's not going to deliver what I need I'm going to leave it here today but notice the story doesn't end even with that she goes back to her village. Let's look at it in John chapter four, verse 29. She says, "Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now why would a woman, if, if the story is correct, that she's kind of an outcast among her own, why would she go back to the people who seemed to not like her and broadcast her brokenness to them? Why would she do that? Because she found somebody who is a source of grace in her brokenness. And she knows she isn't the only broken person among her village. So she returns. Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was her testimony? Get this, friends. It wasn't like she went to Bible school. Okay, what was her testimony? He told me everything I ever did. That's a testimony. Some of you are like, I don't know if I have a testimony. That was her testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior. the world. What's the point? Many people, we've talked about it, have their source in things that will not last, things that will not provide for them. But many of us, we have found Jesus, the source of our life, of grace, of hope, of purpose. Some of your friends, some of your family don't even know because you're not willing to share that testimony of what he's done in your life, how he has been for you, the source that you have needed. But she went back and did that And what I love about the progression of this story, when she met Jesus, he was sir. When the story ends, he's savior. I love that progression of her becoming more knowledgeable of who he is. And in that process, her viewpoint of this guy at the well changed from sir to savior. Went from a status of respect to absolute commitment. Friends, we need to be willing to recognize that people around us need to make that same move from sir to savior. There are people who like Jesus, but they're not serving him as savior. What if we were to be the ones to share and to guide other people to that source of your hope? Here's the bottom line, and it's this. Jesus is your source, the wellspring of purpose, hope, and life. And I know that that sounds so simplistic, but how many times do we miss this? Because tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and something else is going to to be driving the reason why you get up. And here's what I know. For a lot of people, Jesus is their source on Sunday, but on Monday, they're drawn from other unreliable wells. And here's what I know. The source of your life directs the course of your life. The source of your life directs the course of your life. Some of you know that. Your path of your life has been going in places you're not real happy with. But that source has been taking you there. Some of you, that source might be relationships you know you're in that aren't right. That might be that the career you've been banking on isn't the right place for you to be, or at least it's not in the position it should be in the priorities of your life. I'm not sure what that source might be for you, but here's what I do know. When Jesus becomes our source, the course is going to be beautiful. Because the source of our life determines the course of our life. Do you like where your life is right now? If not, you better start going back and looking at what are you trusting and what is the well because it's easy for other things to creep into that place when Jesus is our source. And if he is our source, do people see that? Do people see it in you when you, when you get up each day? Is Jesus your source in the way that you act, the way you treat them, the way you live out your life before others, because that will determine the course of your life. So, what about you this morning? Is Jesus your source? Some of you, as you have heard this, it's been brought to your attention. There are things that you are trusting in as your source that have shifted Jesus out of that proper place of being the center, because he is the source. John 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word. John 1 also tells us that he was the Creator. That we're here in existence because of him. And the one who created us certainly knows the one who can be the source for you and for me. As we conclude today, the band's going to come and and, uh, help us lead one more song. But I just want you for a moment just to close your eyes and take a look within the, the well of your own soul. There's a part of us that has been placed there by God to connect with him. And some of you have been trying to cram other things into that space hoping it'll satisfy you. And even if you know about Jesus, maybe you even profess to be a follower, but you know you keep building your life on a source that is just going to fail you. Here's what I know. When I put Jesus first, all the rest of these things fall into their proper place. I don't think relationships are wrong. I don't think career is wrong. I don't think money is wrong. I don't think enjoying life is wrong. But when Jesus isn't the source, then all of those things are corrupted. But when he's the source, he has a way of transforming all of those things for his purpose and his beauty. And if you're here today and you're saying, Kelly, I know that I, my source is not where it needs to be. But I want to commit today to Jesus being my source because he is a wellspring of hope, of life, of purpose. And some of you might feel like, I don't have any of that anymore. Well, your source has failed you, but Jesus will not. And if you're here and you're saying, Kelly, that's me, I, I want to renew that passion for my source. Whether our heads bowed, high schooled, just raise a hand and say, Kelly, that's me. Pray with me today. Yes, I see. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see a lot of hands. Thank you. Anybody else? Before we pray today, I want Jesus to be my source. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, you've seen the hearts of all of us. In fact, even when you were still in Judea and you knew you had to go through Samaria, you knew that because there was a woman that needed to know a true source of her life's purpose of hope It was you, the living water. And God, today I pray for my friends in this room who've recognized that that source has not been where it needs to be. You have not been the source. They've kind of pushed you off to the side and and they've focused on other things, but those things will fail them or already have failed them. But Jesus, you won't. And I thank you for the times in my own life when you've allowed those things to fail me because I was trusting in the wrong areas. And those brought me back to you and I pray that would be the moment for them today. Recognizing that they're gonna focus on you, the source, because you are more than enough. So God, I thank you for that truth today. Jesus, I pray you'd minister to those today just by them simply confessing to you, Jesus, Be my source. Be my source of of grace, of forgiveness, of truth, of life, of hope. I need that today. And then be my source tomorrow when the routine of my life kicks back in and I'm tempted to, to lean back on those other sources. Jesus, be my source. So, God, I pray for the grace and the strength to follow you through those changes as you reprioritize their own lives with you as the source. Thank you for being reliable and trustworthy always. In Jesus' name.